Hello, this is Melissa Lau, Associate Pastor of Congregational Care and Missions at Wesley Memorial United Methodist Church. Thank you for subscribing to our podcast. Our sermon series is based on the book of Matthew. Please jump in and learn along with us as we go on this exciting journey. Thanks again for listening. God bless. Well, we are we are going into our, our sermon series of the book of Matthew. We're continuing into this series. And today we are in Matthew chapter 25. And um, these are really stories of Matthew 25. It's Jesus teaching about when he will return. And it's different parables about his eventual return. And next week we'll hear about the ultimate return of Jesus. And he talks about the judgment and sheep and goats and all of that. We'll get into that. Now, Matthew 24, if you read that chapter, is um, about really about preparation. That's where we see the, the, uh, the parable of the ten virgins, as it's called, about having your oil, their lamp full of oil and being prepared for the master's coming. He's talking about the preparation. And then 25 is more about um, the return, the return of Jesus. And, um, and then today we're going to look at the parable of the talents. And before I read it, it's interesting that in Matthew 24 and 25, the owner is always delayed in his coming. The owner is always delayed in every, almost every parable. And it's, it's interesting that he would teach that way, because I've certainly thought that, especially in our day and age, is Jesus, when are you going to come back? And probably people 2,000 years ago, where a lot of the apostles were expecting him to come back, even then. But... Even today, maybe you've asked that question. Jesus, where are you? Why haven't you come back? And in the most Jesus-y way possible, he answers that question with a parable. And this parable is called the parable of the talents. And we're going to see that while he's away, he expects his followers, his believers, to actually do something. And that's really what he's stating, is that there's expectation that you will multiply what God has given you while you're alive on this earth. So there's an expectation of preparation and that the realization that some will be fruitful and unfortunately some will not, as, he, as we'll see. So I'm going to start reading uh, chapter 25, verse 14. I'm going to stop throughout. This is kind of how I do it sometimes. If you're new with us, this is kind of how it goes. Um, and stop and, and teach on different verses. So we're starting at verse... Uh, 14. For it is as if a man, it is, is referring to the kingdom of God or Jesus' eventual return. It is as if a man going on a journey summoned his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. So clearly the owner here is Jesus. And the, the term talent can be kind of confusing to people. And what it really is is an ancient form of measurement. One talent would equal about 75 pounds of something. So when he gives someone five talents, I mean, you're going to need like a pickup truck. Okay, it's like 325 pounds of stuff. So back then, 70, uh, a talent of silver, for example, would be worth about $1,000 today. Probably more than that, actually. A talent of spice or a talent of gold would be worth a different amount. But it is a large amount, a talent. So this parable, though, of course, is not about money, but it, it can be about leveraging our money for God's glory. 
about, but it's also about leveraging natural ability. Read verse 15 again. And he, he gave according to his ability. God gives us our gifts according to um, the abilities we have or we exhibit for God. So, for example, if you juggle, juggle for Jesus, right? If you uh, sing and dance, sing and dance for Jesus. If you balance spreadsheets, balance spreadsheets for Jesus. Whatever your ability is, use it. Everyone has ability, but some maybe have more potential than others based on the choices they make on using those abilities for God's glory. But talents are something that God gives us based on our ability and our willingness to use those ability. The amount isn't the point. Everyone has the same ability, but the owner knows each servant individually, and he knows their capability, and he entrusts to them with what he knows they, can, they, might, they will be able to use. So, for example, $5,000 guy, 325-pound guy, he's a go-getter. He can get things done. He, hasn't, he knows that he's been, the owner knows he's been faithful in the, in the past and, and that, that I can trust him. So here's 300, it's actually 375 pounds. 375 pounds to you. Bam. Here you go. I can trust you to use it. $2,000, two-talent person. You know, they've kind of let me down maybe before, but I'm going to entrust them. I, I can really see them potential, see some lot of good ability there. I really think I can, they're going to do something with this. So, so here you go, my servant. Here's two talents. And then the last talent person, the one's last servant, has one talent. I guess we could call him Barney. Let's call him Barney for, for, for sake. Not, I know a lot of good Barneys, but maybe Barney comes in four hours late. Maybe Barney has a shirt untucked. Maybe Barney, Barney didn't shave this morning. Barney doesn't know what time it is. And the owner's like, ah, well, I don't know if I should give him five. Maybe I, I can't give him two. Uh, I'll give you one. I'll give you one. And, and here's what, here, do something with this. Be fruitful with it. You, you were kind of shaky in the past, but I still love you. I still believe in you. Use this. So God is giving, the owner is giving based on um, their natural ability. And so then we look at verse 16 and through 19. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled his accounts with them. So clearly the owner's goal is to increase the value of what he has entrusted. He, he trusts the servants to in, invest for the master's gain, to expand his influence, to, to expand his holdings. It's not just about the money, it's about the fruit. It's about being faithful to what I've given you. What did you do with what I gave you and what's left of it? Because we are going to settle this account now. We're settling it. It's, it's, we're finalizing it. Verse 20, Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. So he doubles his investment. His master said, Well done, good and trustworthy servant. You have been trustworthy in a few things. Now this is interesting. I will put you in charge of many things. Then this is also important. Enter the joy of your master. And the one who had two talents, also came forward saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I've made two more. His master said to him, Well done, 
good and trustworthy servant. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. But then we come to the final talent. Oh, just to recap, we know the five-talent guy worked his tail off, expanded the money. Two-talent guy works his tail off, expanded the resources. One-talent guy, this is his response. The one who received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. So it's interesting that the the operative word in verse 25 is is afraid. Fear drove him to have a scarcity mindset, and fear does that. Fear drives you to not have faith anymore, to only see the obstacles, to only to make excuses, to justify your behavior. And fear caused him to dig a hole in the ground and do nothing with what he had. And so fear can rob us of our faith. Fear can, can um, make us not want to trust for the future. And that's what we see here with this final servant. The master replied, you wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? He asked a question and puts it right back on him. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten. For to all who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But those who have nothing, even what they have, will be taken away. As for this worthless slave... Throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this kind of ends in a horrific way, this parable. And we can't really gloss over that. It's pretty troubling to hear how it ends. Just get this lazy bum out of here. But if you are fruitful with what I give you, I'll give you more. And you will enter into the master's joy. There's a lot to unpack there. For one, we know this parable is bigger than money. It's pretty clear about that. The story is not just about what you're doing with your resources, although that's important because it does reflect the attitude and orientation of our heart. But what are you doing with the opportunities the owner has entrusted to you? What are you doing with those things? So a talent, as I said, literally was a 75-pound unit measurement, but here's a few things that we know the talent is in a bigger sense. One, a talent is something that intrinsically belongs to God. The owner gives it out. It belonged to him, and he entrusted it to the servants. Two, we know that the talents are handed out based on natural ability or willingness to use natural abilities for the owner's uh, growth. Three, there is the expectation of growth, so we know that. But I think in order to leverage those abilities for, for for the owner, if you will, for the kingdom of God, we kind of have to know a little bit more about how we're wired. We have to know what our abilities are and, 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 and use them for God's glory. And that's why, actually, in January, we're going to do a sermon series um, called Finding Your Design in 2021 and about discovering a bit more about the way God has made you, uh, whether that's with your spiritual gifts. We're going to use this thing called the Enneagram, which actually has a lot of Christian beginnings to that test. How many of you have taken Enneagram? Uh, I know some people are, it, it's very interesting. It's, it's scarily accurate. Um, 
and learning more about how we're designed and how, what gifts we have, what abilities we have, and then when you know what they are, then you can, don't bury them in a hole because you know what you've got. So we're going to be doing that, but you kind of have to know how you're wired. So for example, for myself, I know that I'm a bit of a reader. I like to read. I'm a bit of an internal processor. I'm a bit of a deep thinker. I've always, but, and yet I've always had a bent toward like performance and being in front of people, which is ironic because from a young age, I've had a speech impediment, like Moses, okay, um, but, which is crazy, but, you know, when I'm in front of people, it's not a problem, but sometimes when I'm not, it is, and, but sometimes our abilities God has given us can be our places that are, that are weakest in our lives. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes the way that God has wired you, you might think is a weakness, but in fact, it's a strength, because in order to use it, you have to use faith, and so, um, so conversely for myself, how I'm wired, I do not, like, I can do math. I, you know, I took geometry in high school uh, and college. I took the easiest math possible to get out of the way. Um, so math is not really my bag. So that's not going to be my ability. It's not what I'm going to leverage for the owner. You know, some people I know, they, they look at the world in ones and zeros, like the matrix. Like, they just see numbers everywhere. But when I look at an Excel spreadsheet, my eyes just kind of glaze over. So if I'm going to be uh, leveraging my talents, it will probably not be with math. So we have to know a bit more how they're wired. So once you know what you've got, once you know what's in, you can use for the kingdom, then you're able to use it. For example, the last church I was at, um, one of the church members was an airline pilot for over 30 years. And over that time, he'd accrued quite a bit of vacation every year, uh, weeks and weeks of vacation. So instead of only using it for himself, he would plan out his whole year and include a week in Jamaica, two weeks in Jamaica, uh, separated in February and October, and he would lead a mission team to go to Jamaica and rebuild churches. And that's what he would do to leverage what God had given him, right? God had given him this ability to have extra time off, and instead of using it for himself, he used it to go and bless people in Jamaica. In a, sense, in a sense, he multiplied the gift God had given him. He multiplied it and blessed the world through it. Isn't that interesting? And this got me thinking this week. There's a church member at Wesley Memorial named Lisa Hawley. I'm sure a lot of you know Lisa. She runs a very good restaurant in Jamestown. Um, and she does a ministry based out of this church called Feeding Lisa's Kids. And I'm sure a lot of you have heard of that. Maybe you've helped serve with Feeding Lisa's Kids. Um, so I was intrigued by this story. How did Feeding Lisa's Kids begin? So we, we, we talked this week, and I talked to Lisa. And she said, when my children were little, I would eat lunch with them in public school. And uh, while we were sitting there, I would see other children taking part of their school lunch and putting it in their pocket or putting it in their backpack. And I would ask the teacher, why are they doing that? And they would say, well, that's, that's going to be their supper tonight. And Lisa said, that bothered me so deeply. I couldn't shake it. And the years went by. My kids got older, and I would bring food to the school. I would feed these, some of these children, but it wasn't enough. She said, it bothered me so deeply, and I ignored it as best I could but God put it on my heart so much I could not ignore it any longer. And she said, quote, I I, if I can't get it off my mind, it's not just me being crazy because I know I am. 
<laughs> that's funny. If you know Lisa, it's funny. Um, because many times when we're given a burden for something, sometimes we over-spiritualize the idea of calling. But what a calling is, is just a burden that God has put on your heart. I have friends that are missionaries in foreign countries, and they had this burden for this country. They couldn't shake it, and they had to go. That's what a calling is. You're burdened. Maybe it's for a school or a family that lives near you or whatever it may be, some cause that you're passionate about. But we all have those burdens. And whatever that is, don't overthink it because God has maybe put it there for a purpose. And that's what happened to Lisa. She had this burden. It was a good burden. It's a good burden. It's a calling. God is leading you in that way. And now, feeding Lisa's kids is incredible. Now they, they, they feed over 800 children every month in the areas around High Point. They have, they have a firm 170 families. She gets phone calls from lots of the schools, Boys and Girls Club, communities and schools, reaches out. And she said, if you give to them, 100% of it goes to food. We don't have any administrative cost. Um, they, it talk, costs about $100 a family, so they, they need, they need $17,000 a month to feed these families, and it provides up to 15 uh, meals for each family. But she said it's bigger than food, as we know it always is. One mother has, is in chemotherapy, she has cancer, three children are sleeping on the floor, they don't have a refrigerator. And she goes and sees the problem, and, and through her work, God, she said God provides for us every time. God provided a refrigerator for this family, and we're, you're, God is using her in powerful ways. And she said something that really moved me. She said her prayer every morning is, God, show me how to get to every child that needs help. Man, it's incredible. And here's a woman that's been gifted in food and culinary art and is using that, leveraging that for the kingdom. She's multiplying that, right? And it's blessing the world through her. So that's, that's the sort of example. If you do want to give to Feeding Lisa's Kids, in the memo line of your check, write Feeding Lisa's Kids, make the check out to the church. It goes through our books, but then it goes to Feeding Lisa's But you must put Feeding Lisa's Kids on the memo line. Now, I realize when you talk about this kind of message, though, you sort of lay out these great illustrations that sound fantastic. Um, you have to be careful with this kind of message because you don't want to make it sound like God hates us relaxing. Or God is against us, like, having fun. You know, like, you could be water skiing, and then, you know, Jesus comes back. You know, oh, oh, what were you doing? Why are you water skiing? Why are you in the mountains with your family? Why are you at the beach? You know, that's not the point of that, that God is not some sort of stern overlord. But we know that there's a balance there. We do need rest. We need Sabbath. But we also do need to be leveraging what we have for God's work in the world. That we, when we verbally tell someone about Jesus, when we build something for him, when we have a burden for the kingdom, God's power is unlocked in the world. And there's a mystery to that. But lives are transformed when people step out in faith and, and don't hide something in the ground, but they multiply the talent. So do we see our free time, our Saturday morning, as an opportunity for the kingdom do we have an open heart, an open wallet, and an open calendar? Do we leverage our time and our abilities for him, or do we hide our talent in the ground and 
in fear, say, Lord, I didn't want to upset you, so I just let it sit there. Now, I know in the Bible Belt, I think we're in the Bible Belt, right? I don't know where the buckle of the Bible Belt is. Maybe Charlotte? Maybe it's Birmingham? I'm not sure. <laughs> but we're in the Bible Belt, so people in the Bible Belt, we know how to kind of religiously hide. We get, we get pretty good at that, at um, saying the right things, but not really doing the right thing, but we'll say the right thing. Um, kind of play the game, say the right thing, show up Christmas, Easter, do all that, um, but then our actions really don't show that you know, any fruit, really, um, but say the right things. It reminds me of, of the story of the little boy in Sunday school who was asked by a Sunday school teacher, uh, children, what has a brown bushy tail, collects nuts for the winter, and lives in a tree? And a little boy raises his hand and says, I know it's a squirrel, but I think I'm supposed to say Jesus. You know, God doesn't want us just to give the right answer, but we, while we simultaneously hide what we've been given in the ground out of fear. I mean, again, let's be reminded of the third servant in this parable. This is a servant of the owner. I mean, the servant knows this owner. The owner knows this person. The owner has trusted this person before and is trusting them again, but maybe with less than they got before. Maybe he's giving the, uh, the servant one more time to be fruitful, to be faithful. The practical application for this is that I think God wants us to do the hard work, and it can be hard work, of looking into our heart, our wallet, our calendar, and offering it to God. And Another thing about this sort of message is God doesn't want us just to have sort of a begrudging submission, right? It's like, okay, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do it. No, like it says here, I want you to enter into my joy. I want you to know my joy. I want you to be walking in joy as you do these things. And then when you enter into my joy, it's just more joy on top of that. But, you know, don't have the attitude of, I'll do what you say. I don't want to gnash my teeth, whatever that is. I don't know what that means, but it sounds bad. I don't want to gnash my teeth. I never really gnashed anything, but I don't want to start today. Being in outer darkness, that sounds pretty cold. I think using the talents God has given us, the abilities, it, it, is a, it shouldn't be a have to, but a want to. I want to do that. Because begrudging submission, that's not a pathway to joy. It's not a pathway to living a full life to the full that Jesus said he has come to give. I mean, you, you can equate this to marriage. You don't want marriage to be begrudging submission. Now, do not raise your hand if that is you. <laughs> but we do not want that. It'd be like if someone came up to you and said, hey, man, what's it like to be married? And you were like, I'm determined. I will stay. We took vows. We kissed once. I will be faithful out of duty. I will set my teeth. I will see this thing through to the end. Your friend wouldn't say, God, that's so beautiful. What a beautiful picture of marriage. I want that so bad for my own life. No, that's not compelling. That's not honoring. It doesn't build anything of value. That doesn't lead to joy. Instead of joy leading to further joy, just the faithfulness. If someone asked me about marriage, I would say, where do I begin? 
I'm just an ugly dude that maybe has some game, but got lucky and won the lottery. She loves our children. She loves our home. She loves our church. There's no one else I'd rather be with than anyone else on the earth. She's flesh of my flesh, rib of my rib. If I fall down, she falls down. If she rises, I rise. Whatever I do, I want to bring her joy as much as I can because I love her. And that's what's between the lines of this parable is the first two servants are operating out of love. I really believe that. It's not a have to, it's a want to. The third servant forgot about that and made it begrudging submission and fear and afraid of being punished by the owner. And that's not the right motivation. You would walk away from that sort of marriage description and say, I I want that. I, I want that. Faithful obedience is a great witness to the world and that God isn't after our begrudging submission, but he's after our joy. He's after you knowing his joy when we leverage what we've been given and bear fruit for the kingdom. I mean, think about my friend Tom, the joy that he spread in Jamaica. Think about Lisa and the joy that she's spreading through her ministry and the food that they provide. And then you enter into more of that joy, Jesus says. And not only that, Jesus says, I'll give you a promotion. Not that I even deserve a promotion, but he said, I'll give you more. I'll put you in charge of more because I know that you're fruitful in the past. And maybe if you failed, I will still believe in you because you tried to bear fruit for me and my kingdom. God wants us to walk in this type of freedom, to walk with an open heart and an open wallet and an open calendar and give to eternal purposes and not just momentary things, but we do it out of love for the owner, and we do it out of love for our neighbor. So we all have opportunities afforded to us. We all have abilities. We all have something to offer. And if we pay attention to the Spirit and His leading, and maybe some burdens He's put on your heart that have been there before, you'll see that maybe you have more than you think you do. Because here's the crazy thing about this parable. You have an infinite, almighty God inviting you into full joy and just says, use what I gave you. Use what I gave you. I'll I'll help you be fruitful with it. Just be willing to do it. Don't run away from this invitation. Don't run away from maybe the hard work of, as I said, examination. Do I really have an open heart to God? Do I really have an open wallet? Do I really have an open calendar with, with all that he's given me? Because I do like to think if every Christian in the world lived out what we said we believe, now we're not going to get it perfectly, we know that, but we at least need to try. If we all did that in a perfect world, I like to believe there would be far fewer needs than there are now in the world. Because of a woman like Lisa, now a child can sleep on a bed. They have a refrigerator. Because of a guy like Tom, there's a church in Jamaica that has a roof on it for the first time in 30 years. See, this isn't a, this isn't a message about guilt or shame, though, and about browbeating people and feeling bad. That's not, again, not a good motivator for walking in joy, but just a reminder to leverage what we've been given to God day by day. And it's usually in small ways. It doesn't have to be some big, momentous act that we do for God. 
It's little moments that are unseen, that no one notices. That kind word to a stranger, that prayer for someone hurting on the street. There's something I want to do here that I've done in other churches, which is make homeless kits. And they're big gallon-sized uh, Ziploc bags. We put water and blankets and socks and stuff into them, and we put them at the door, and you grab on your way out. We're going to do that. I'm going to do that. Hold me to it. Now, now I'm, I'm recorded on video, so I think we, it's going to happen. Um, but you're, these small things that can multiply not only your joy, but someone else's joy, and bless the world. Small ways. Many times that's how the kingdom of God works, in small, unnoticed ways, like a mustard seed. There's a guy named Brother Lawrence who, who was a monk in the 15th century. And Brother Lawrence is famous for writing about um, doing small acts for God, washing dishes for God. Well, I'm very good at that. I'm sure most of us are. Folding laundry for God. Uh, <laughs> leveraging these innocuous things in our daily lives for God, these talents, these abilities that God has provided for us. And maybe this, we need to get back to the, to the little things. Even, even Mother Teresa said that it's not the large acts, but it's small acts done in love that further the work of the kingdom. Brother Lawrence wrote this, got it on the screen too. Men invite means and methods of coming at God's love. So, you know, even today, we have books, we have seminars, we have videos, we have conferences. We have all this stuff of coming at God's love. And, and some of it's very good. And we learn the rules, we set up devices to remind them of that love. And it seems like a world of trouble to bring oneself into the consciousness of God's presence. Yet it might be so simple. Is it not quicker and easier just to do our common business wholly for the love of him? I would agree with that. Is it not quicker and easier just to do the common business of our everyday lives? And when you do that, you're, you're, you're walking in awareness more of the spirit of God at work in your life. And you can watch out. You might get a holy burden put on your heart. That means that God is going to use you in the world to bless and to multiply. What a great reminder, this quote, to not compartmentalize our walk with God. I got God over here and everything else over here, but it's all holistic. It's all connected. It's all one thing. You know, what if we stop compartmentalizing and said, you know what, God, to breathe is to pray. God, to live today is to serve somewhere, anywhere. God, my heart, it's yours. My wallet, it's yours. My calendar, it's yours. And we have, and we use it as an offering of worship, as an act of love to him. Because there's no one better than him. There's, like, like the disciples said, where else will we go? You have the words of life. There's nowhere else we go. There's no one better. Let's pray together. God, as we hear these words of yours, help us to see what we've been given the way we should. Help us to see the world around us a bit more the way we should. Help us to see the expectation you have for our lives to joyful obedience, not begrudging submission. You're not after that. You want joyful obedience. Help us, God, make the common daily business that we do Help us do it wholly for the love of you because there's no one better than you. Let us have an open heart, an open wallet, an open calendar. You are the vine. 
we are the branches. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Thank you, God, that you do forgive us readily for the ways that we haven't done that. We kept on driving when we saw someone on the side of the street. We didn't write that check. God, you are so gracious and patient with us. But God, I pray that we all would be doggedly devoted to being like those first two servants, though. God, because we do it out of love for you. We want to please you. We want to expand your work in the world. So, Spirit of God, move in our hearts. Root out maybe some idols that need to go, that have been in the way, blocking our awareness of your Spirit's work around us and through us and in us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.